we're accommodating. So, um, my name is Andy Rain. I'm the chair of this session, and we're about to have a session, in case you're not in the right room, uh, on the link between physical and financial wellness. Um, and uh, the, um, the reason I said there's a slight change in plan is that the presenters were um, asked to do a 20-minute presentation with 10 minutes for questions as part of a sort of a, a combined slot. And we found out today they actually got an hour slot. So uh, we'll, um, there'll be plenty of time for questions as a result of that. Um, so I would encourage you to ask, uh, to think of some good questions and ask them as, uh, uh, when we get to the end. Um, obviously, we're not going to force it. If there's no questions, we'll, you'll all get to have a slightly longer break between sessions. So anyway, so welcome to all of you. Um, and uh, welcome to uh, Nikki, Nico Louis Mini and Ina Shaw, who are two of the authors. Uh, Johan van Tonda is the other author who can't be with us today. Um, I've just got a quick announcement before we get into the presentation. Um, and I'm being encouraged to encourage you to um, participate in the app. So if you haven't uh, downloaded the convention app, um, give it a try. Um, I think if you go to the App Store on your iPhone, um, you'll find it under ASA 2016 Convention. Um, and, and what uh, I didn't realize is that for the first time, you're actually able to immediately rate the speakers and the sessions as soon as it's finished. So you can, you know, no need to fill in forms later in the week. Yeah, you can do it live now. Uh, and obviously, I, I've been in other sessions where there's been polls and fun things like that. So I encourage you to use the app. Um, so as I said earlier, we're going to have a 20-minute presentation and there'll be lots of time for questions. Uh, so I'd encourage you to think of some questions. Um, Nico Louis, over to you. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> right, hello everyone. Um, so firstly, thank you for indulging me as Andy points it out for the next 30 minutes going on 60 minutes. Um, on the link between financial and physical wellness. Um, starting with our agenda, any good piece of research starts with uh, creating a new set of assumptions and definitions. Um, so in true research spirit, we'll do exactly that. So I'll take you through our definition of financial and physical wellness, leading into an overview of the overall research, the assumptions underlying the research, um, and nicely taking us into the actual output of the research to what we believe is a definitive link between financial and physical wellness. I'll have some concluding remarks um, with some clear um, direction for further research on this uh, particular topic. <clears throat> President-elect Donald Trump. We all know about him, don't we? Um, Donald Trump is perhaps not the most popular politician in the world, some might say, but he's certainly the epitome of financial wellness. Um, and probably one of the most influential uh, individuals in the world from a financial perspective. Yes, he's probably overexposed to property, but this talk is not on optimum asset allocation for individuals, so we'll let that one slide for now. On the other side, we've got Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt, again, is probably a walking um, um, epitome of health. Usain Bolt's the fastest man on earth. He's the fastest man that's ever walked the earth. And this tickled and kindled our curiosity. Is there an attribute underlying Usain Bolt, underlying Donald Trump, that we could isolate, that we can link with each other um, in order to come up with what we call a superhuman, the Wolverine, if you want. Um, yes, our own Sir Richard Branson. A perfect balance between health and wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me on a brief journey to looking at the link between financial and physical wellness. 
Starting with the link, uh, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon, um, the definition of financial wellness, borrowing from the Momentum and UNISA Financial Household Financial Wellness Index, financial wellness is a process. It's a continuous process, and it starts with financial planning that includes financial advice, leading on to financial management, ultimately leading to uh, behavioral adjustment with the objective to meet one's goals and objectives, uh, as well as managing your expenses now and into the future, whether those expenses were planned or unplanned. Now, just the mere statement of this sounds audacious, and trying to measure this on an ongoing basis and draw conclusions from that borders on dividing by zero. So we're definitely not going to try and do that. What we've done instead is define a suitable set of proxies for financial wellness, and our proxy for financial wellness is as follows. An individual is classified as financially unwell, if he or she defaulted on any credit account within the last 90 days. Similarly, an individual is classified as financially well if he or she did not default on a credit account uh, in the preceding 90 days. Borrowing from the World Health Organization for the definition of physical wellness, physical wellness is not just the absence of disease or infirmity, but it's a complete state of physical, mental and social wellness. Our proxy for physical wellness is a patented mechanism called the Healthy Heart Score. The Healthy Heart Score is simply an individual's 10-year uh, cardiovascular disease risk, or proxy for an individual's 10-year cardiovascular disease risk. It's got three levels to it, red, amber, and green. Uh, red, an individual labeled as red has a high 10-year uh, cardiovascular disease risk relative to his peers, where an individual with a green Healthy Heart Score has a low um, risk of cardiovascular disease uh, in, the, in the following 10 years. The measurements going into the Healthy Heart Score includes glucose, cholesterol, blood pressure, age, gender, and smoking status. So if we now look at these proxies that we've defined for financial wellness and for physical wellness, as well as the components of each and the definitions of these, we found two sort of distinct categories and four components, two in each one of those categories. So these um, categories overall is financial and, and physical health. The components underlying the financial aspect is financial advice. Uh, yes, planning with a, with a financial plan and regularly reviewing those financial plans, as well as an individual's uh, credit standing i.e. is default uh, within the last 90 days or not having defaulted in the last 90 days. Similarly, in the physical health environment, we're looking at the individual's health as measured by this healthy heart score, and we then link that to claims on an insurance portfolio. The overview of the research, we used a sample uh, of 20,000 individuals. For these 20,000 individuals, we calculated a measure called the weight of evidence to ascertain whether there was a link between underlying variables in this research study, where this weight of evidence indicated that there was a link between uh, two variables or three variables for that matter. We then further analyzed the strength of that relationship and the predictive ability using it in a predictive model by using the information ratio. So in terms of the research findings, honing in firstly on financial advice, financial planning, and regular review. If we look at individuals that have a financial plan and that review this financial plan on a regular basis, 
Those individuals sit in the top 5% of credit active consumers. This is very important for us, and it's the cornerstone of what we call financial wellness, especially considering of the 24 million credit active consumers in South Africa, less than half of them are up to date with their credit um, accounts. So if we can fix this, we'll actually address one of the major issues that we've got as a country um, in South Africa at this point in time. Then looking at that link of credit onto, onto health, since we've established that there's a direct link between the financial advice um, and, the, um, and the credit, Credit linked to health in terms of the Healthy Heart Score. There's a massive positive relationship between red Healthy Heart Scores, i.e. consumers in poor health and bad credit. This weight of evidence of 0.2 suggests a correlation of over 0.6. And although there's a lower correlation between a green Healthy Heart Score and, and, and consumers in, in positive credit standing, the overall information ratio of this is still 0.04, which is greater than 0.02, which means you can use it in a predictive model. Looking at claims, so how does this Healthy Heart Score advice and credit then link to claims? There's an exponential relationship between the rates of chronic claims on insurance and, and an individual's healthy heart score. So as you can see there, individuals with a red healthy heart score have a chronic claims rate of almost five times that of individuals with a green healthy heart score and a very, uh, very slight difference between individuals with a green and a red healthy heart score. Again, confirming this, uh, this uh, correlation between bad debt and an and individual in poor health or with a red healthy heart score. Then moving on to the actual building blocks, the nuts and bolts of these two scores. So some of the components that you see on screen um, are the constituents of the building blocks of the healthy art score, as well as the financial advice or financial wellness score. Specifically focusing on blood pressure and cholesterol, you'll see there's a, there's a link with the information value of greater than 0.02, i.e. gain weak, but nevertheless you can still use it in predictive modeling between blood pressure, cholesterol, and an individual's credit standing. And again, it, uh, the relationship works, works in the reverse as well. BMI arguably is not the, the best measure of an individual's health for a number of reasons, but nevertheless, we still see a correlation between an individual's BMI and his overall credit standing with an information value of 0.06, again, making it um, very useful in a predictive model between credit and BMI. And then last but not least, a subcomponent of the financial advice or financial review process, an individual that plans for his future by putting aside money in terms of savings and investments. These, this could be short-term savings or longer-term savings for retirement. Those individuals are generally in good credit standing, and again, an information value of 0.03 means that you could use it, although weak or medium for that matter, in a predictive model um, to ascertain the link going forward. So wrapping this up, what we've done is we've put together a couple of the pieces of the puzzle. So this puzzle that we started building combines a couple of risk measures, financial planning, financial advice, and credit status, measures that you can measure on an ongoing basis, and we've linked that to an individual's overall health. 
There's still a couple of pieces missing in this puzzle, and clearly one of the next steps that, that, we, will, um, that we will follow in further research is to do a full-on regression analysis and a time series analysis. That will further cement the link between these um, uh, various variables, um, and it will also be very useful in predictive modeling going forward. We need to break down the advice component into more granular detail. What I mean by that is, as part of the financial planning process, there's more to it than just looking at credit on a standalone basis or savings and investments on a standalone basis. So we need to look at the link between the constituent parts of a financial planning process and how that impacts an individual's credit uh, and ultimately his, his health. And then last but not least, this is not isolated to insurance, health insurance, risk insurance, uh, morbidity or mortality. It also links and extends to other areas of business. So further research will be conducted to ascertain whether there's a link between these factors, health and an individual on a general insurance basis or even on a group basis. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nico. That's a very, very, uh, very good summary of the paper. Okay, so we've arrived at question time. Can I, uh, any, any initial questions? Hands up. The usual way. Okay, still feeling a little bit shy after lunch, yeah? Does anyone, I can't see any. There's one at the back there. Okay, thanks. Well, while we work our way up to the back there, Nico, I, as I read through the, the paper, I guess what I had one question, which is, we've always used socioeconomic class as a sort of a, a way of, um, you know, as an indicator for risk and mortality, morbidity, and so on. And I wasn't sure if the study you're doing here was just giving us the same findings, that, that, that somebody's wealth is basically a pretty good indication of the SEC, and therefore it wasn't new information. Can you maybe just talk a bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So, the, especially when we looked at the financial advice components and as that linked to credit, and the credit components as that linked to an individual's healthy heart score, we looked at that across various social economic classes and income groups. So, it is income, uh, gender, uh, race, uh, agnostic completely, and we found that sort of uh, to be stable across all of those, all of those groups. What was also fascinating is that in looking at the actual credit underlying this, almost 35,000 um, credit restructured agreements are for individuals repaying credit in excess of 30,000 Rand per month. So these are not individuals in the low socioeconomic groups or low income groups if you could actually take on credit to the extent of 30,000 or in excess of 30,000 Rand per month. Uh, so yes, there's a, there's a grouping of more wealthy individuals, but there's certainly low income individuals coming through in this as well. All right, thank you. Um, is, are we ready for the question at the back there? Um, I can go, yeah? It's, uh, it's Neil, yeah? I've a actually got more of a comment than a, than a question. I think the thing you're probably testing for is, is discipline. So uh, managing your finances or managing your health or managing anything that requires discipline, I think you'll um, actually find a, a, a quite a close um, uh, um, correlation because uh, it's not difficult to... to um, learn out or to, to if you say you want to become fit it's not difficult to actually know how to run but you need to have the discipline to get up at six in the morning to actually run um, not buying that more expensive car or those expensive shoes and so on it's not something that's 
that's difficult to explain to someone. It, it's all about self-discipline. So I think they'll, they'll be in any type of thing where there's self-discipline um, is actually the key determinant factor. I think you'll find a close correlation. Oh, thank you for that. So, and again, I think you're spot on, especially from a financial perspective. Um, while we found that many of these individuals with financial plans and financial advisors are more diligent in keeping up to date with their credit repayments is because they've got this sort of coach almost looking over their shoulders all the time. So it sort of instills and motivates their discipline if you've got someone looking after your finances. And it's not just this sort of spreadsheet that you dust off once a year uh, or once every three years when something uh, major changes uh, in your life. Yeah, I think, Nico, I was, from data I've seen as well, it's pretty, I think the behavioral economics thing here, Neil, is it's all around delayed gratification. I think people who, you know, delay, you know, they want health now rather than later and they want, you know, financial wellness, they're happy to save now, they drive better, they have better credit records. I think there's a whole behavioral thing that you're tapping into here with this. Okay, is there another question that was on? Yes. Thanks. Hi, John Davidge from Old Mutual. Um, couple of questions. The first one is, what's your definition of a financial plan? Um, because we're struggling with that at the moment with RDR coming and being told we can pay for financial planning. Um, and it's not clear what a financial plan is. And also in that kind of RDR context, I'm worried about the, the causality of someone who can afford to get a financial planner and have a plan is in a position, uh, the, the socio-economic position that he should be in better health just because he he's, is more affluent than, than people who can't afford to financial to do the financial planning. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I have that kind of causality question. Um, does having a plan mean you're going to be healthy or um, are people who are healthy more likely to have a plan because they can afford to have one? Yeah, thank you for that. So for, on, on the first question uh, in terms of the definition of a financial plan, so we look towards the Financial Planning Institute to look at the financial planning process and defining what, what, what constitutes a financial plan and sort of merging that with the research done by UNISA and the finan Household Financial Wellness Index. Uh, at a high level, the financial plan is a plan for an individual to manage his expenses today and into the future. So um, that incorporates saving for the short term, saving for the long term, and taking out insurance for unforeseen expenses. So that constitutes a financial plan, putting that in place and reviewing that on a regular basis. And then in terms of... Uh, individuals being able to afford a financial plan, spot on uh, in a post-RDR environment, I think it'll probably be only the, the more affluent individuals that'll be able to afford that when financial advisors start to charge advice fees as opposed to taking upfront or even ongoing commission from insurance companies. I guess fortunately for us where we are now, the bulk of the research was done in a pre-RDR environment, which means that uh, financial advisors at the very least still extracted commission from, uh, from products and from insurers and not directly from clients, which is also something that we specifically tested, that these individuals come from various socioeconomic groups and various income groups. So they're not only from the more affluent income groups. So in the 20,000 individuals that we surveyed, we ensured that 
um, there was an even spread or equal spread um, across the various income groups. Now, to determine causality uh, versus correlation, I think that's probably one of the outputs of the further research. It's something you can only properly do once you've done a time series or regression analysis. This is a point in time analysis indicating that these elements or variables are linked. Uh, it, does not, it does not go into the detail of which of these variables uh, caused the other variable to, to turn out uh, as depicted on the screen before. So certainly our regression analysis will go into that, into that detail. Okay, thank you. So, any other questions? Is there, there's two here, one on either side of the corridor, maybe another one as well. Just put your hands up again, I'm not sure if... there we go. Hello, I'm Sonatia Nicolai from Reality. Very interesting research. Um, I'd like to know uh, what kind of um, selection you uh, went into in terms of selecting the 20,000 lives. Are those people who are actively participating in Multiply? And, you know, if, if so, what kind of a status level do they have? And, you know, I assume there must be multiplier members if you have the heart rate scores, etc. So um, about 75% of the subjects surveyed in this were multiplier members. Uh, we included non-multiplier members just to make the research more credible uh, because we were in a position to actually calculate the scores for non-multiplier individuals because we've got the underlying uh, inputs that constitutes a, a healthy odd score. Um, part of the research, um, and I might say internal research for that matter, was looking at the impact of the various statuses in Multiply on, on, on the claims on an individual's credit, on the propensity of an individual to go for financial advice. Um, so we've certainly got that research um, at this point in time. We're just not comfortable to publish that um, into the public domain. Um, but I can guarantee you there's certainly a massive difference um, between the propensity of individuals to, to go through these various activities as they move through the uh, statuses. Okay. There's another question, I think, yeah. I'm just going back to something that Neil raised um, about the correlation between sort of behaviors and, um, and control issues. And I, I'm thinking of that wonderful study that the Swedish-American team did as to whether or not we're genetically predisposed to uh, save. And the answer was there's probably 33% um, that can be attributed to our genetic makeup. And it kind of is reminiscent of the old marshmallow test and things like that. that there is very strong correlations between savings behaviors and and control issues in general. Which leads me to ask the question, you know, the way you look at your research, it seems to just, it doesn't seem to include our sort of psychological predisposition and how we're responding. For So some of the research that came out of the state said, unless you're looking at how the stress levels of an individual towards their financial status, that the financial status is neither here nor there. It's really how you are responding to it from a stress perspective. So you're looking at it in absolute terms, and I think the far more important way of looking at it is what is it doing to that individual's psychological sort of framework? And that's where employers get freaked out because that's when people go into panic modes. So, question. 
Yeah, look, I think um, what you're touching on there is certainly something that will make for fascinating research, although it's very difficult to, to actually measure and ascertain that level of uh, psychological stress that an individual um, is under at a given point in time. So until we can, we can sufficiently encourage, I guess, users to, or members to undergo these tests on a regular basis in order for us to gather the data to be able to measure and link that to the, to the various underlying factors, I don't think we'll be in a position to sort of answer that question. Um, but I think you're spot on. These things are, um, they definitely linked. And if you look at the definition of the, the World Health Organization of Health, um, it does talk directly to social and mental health, which directly translates to an individual stress. So sadly, we don't have the answer or the link uh, to that as yet. Um, but obviously, we'll bring that research to this forum um, if we're able to measure that. Okay, and uh, other questions? Just while, while you think of your question. So, Nico, I'm just going back to the data, and I hope this isn't too specific, but reading through the paper again yesterday, I saw that on the you had an activity index, and it seemed that for both good level of activity and a poor level of activity, it had a, um, a positive weight of evidence on the credit standing. And to, what, what does that mean? Is that just that there's not enough data, or what is, what's the meaning of that? So I think what, what that indicates, Andy, is that individuals that are that are active, whether they are um, at a low level of activity or at a high level of activity, um, sort of have a propensity to, to repay their credit. Um, what is not included in there is individuals that are sedentary completely. So it's looking at low activity versus high activity. And I think it touches on um, one of the questions we had before um, that's around discipline. So an individual that's got discipline to train, whether it's on a regular basis four times a week or once a week translating to four times a month, those individuals have a high propensity to actually stay current and up to date with their credit repayments. Um, so I actually think that although it looks like an anomaly if you, if you just um, sort of squeeze through the research, I actually think it's a, it's a very positive uh, finding that we've, that we've highlighted in the, in the paper. Okay, okay more, more questions? Have we got uh, any more? There's one at the back there. Uh, thanks, Nico. Just a, maybe a question on the ways you graded the financial wellness. Uh, it was just, did you find that just those two categories explain things quite well, or was there more uh, that you could say about the debt? What we looked at there, so we looked at, um, and I mean, it was a disclaimer up front that looking at the entire financial planning process. Uh, is is quite onerous and getting detailed information on that process on a regular basis is also troublesome. Uh, I mean, you have to deal with individuals, with financial advisors, with various systems and the like. So I'm not going into that detail, but the, but the point is we, we looked at a number of measure, uh, measurements there, uh, cross-product holdings and the extent to which clients were covered. And the ones that stood out like a sore thumb was the, the credit standing of an individual uh, as well as an individual's propensity to save for retirement, but also to have short-term savings in place. 
Uh, I must admit we haven't looked at all of the various cross-product holdings, so having uh, short-term or general insurance in place, risk cover, um, i.e. life or disability or critical illness cover, uh, and short-term savings and uh, longer-term savings for, for retirement. Um, but, I mean, the sample size sort of diminishes quite I beg your pardon, quite quickly as you add these um, additional product combinations, there's, there's only a handful of individuals that can on a regular basis demonstrate that they've sufficiently covered all of those areas. Um, many of them I would imagine sits in this room, but nevertheless um, the, the sample and the data becomes less credible as you sort of add all of those combinations. But, but the ones highlighted were the ones that sort of stood out and that, that sort of came out with the highest information values for uh, predictive modeling. Okay, another question? And we're not short of time, so if you've got one, come forward. <laughs> just while you think, just again, I'm probably going to show my ignorance here, Nico. But I, I wasn't sure whether you are you trying to show that you can use the healthy heart score for like modeling credit status or vice versa, or what, what, what's the sort of the goal of the research in terms of that? I mean, for, for decades, um, actually sort of used. Uh, what we call rating factors, income or socioeconomic groups, um, as a um, almost as an underwriting mechanism. And although research has been conducted internationally around that, and we probably see a lot of that coming through in our uh, regular uh, mortality or claims investigations, we haven't broken that down into the actual building blocks of an individual's health or an individual's financial wellness. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to take um, almost an anecdotal link that we've that we've taken for granted over the last I don't know three or four decades, and to to put science behind that to actually put our finger on the links between these various um, sort of claims that we see emanating in an insurance book and an individual's underlying credit standing and financial wellness. So, um, I guess Andy, the um, the important thing for us is to take this further. Uh, and, and to turn it into a predictive model. So you spot on, it can go either way. You could use a healthy art score in an individual's health to predict his, his credit standing and the other way around. So especially for composite insurers going into multiple lines of business, that is invaluable. Um, and it certainly gives you an edge on an insurance company, even a bank that's only got access to a small subset of an, uh, an individual's portfolio. Okay, thanks. Uh, any more questions? I can't see any if you want to wave. Okay, there we go. Thank you for the presentation. I'm Nidia Lawrence. Um, the reason for your definition of the financial wellness, why did you decide on your specific definition of somebody who actually has a financial plan and not somebody that um, perhaps um, has much more disposable income than somebody um, another person, perhaps in a percentage way, that they save X amount, say 40% of their salary already, so they should be in a, a better financial freedom position. Because um, I know many people have financial planners or have actually a financial plan, but they don't necessarily follow that. So, um, I mean, just to, to shed some lights on that, so our definition was individuals that have a financial plan 
and that regularly review that financial plan. So yes, there's a component of some of those individuals not necessarily sticking to the, to the financial plan. Um, however, I, th I, I firmly believe that some of those individuals, or probably most of them, came out in, in the lower credit scores for financial, uh, sorry, for individuals that have gone for financial planning. In terms of not using income as a, as a proxy for this, uh, in our country, we've got two major issues. We've got an over-indebtedness issue um, with this 24 million credit active consumers, only half of them being um, up to date with their, uh, with their credit repayments. And we've got a, um, a savings gap, whether it's for retirement or for short-term savings. And what we wanted to do with this was to actually identify levers that, that we could affect as a company that will contribute to the improvement um, of citizens of South Africa in general. Income as a lever, sure, that you can pull, but it's not as easy to pull income as a lever for, for an individual. But getting uh, all South Africans to go for a financial plan to at least know to the, um, what extent they are overexposed to um, a critical illness or not sufficiently saving for retirement, I think that is actually a lever that we can pull and that we can affect on a regular basis. So that was the main reason for, for using something that's not just um, purely related on income. But, uh, but I think you're right, had we used income, you probably would have seen higher correlations um, and it probably being a self-fulfilling prophecy in the background as well, uh, which is less useful, I guess, for us. Okay, another question. Anyone else? You must wave vigorously, otherwise I won't see you. Can you see? Is there another question? Are you... Oh, there, sorry. Okay, I missed it. Hi, thanks for a very interesting presentation. My question relates to some research that Old Mutual did about 10 years ago, where we tried to figure out you know, what made people good savers. And once we stripped everything out, we actually found it was being organized. And that ties in with some comments that Neil's made about discipline. Mm. And what I think would be a really fascinating area for further research, to give you more things on your to-do list, would be to actually look at the extent to which it's the, the fact that your financial planner is, is, is forcing you to be organized about your savings, about your financial future, or whether it's the coaching element. Because when we move to RDR and when advice is going to become more expensive, we need to figure out how we're going to enable people who can't afford a financial advisor that those underlying things that makes the, that is going to make them a, a good saver. Yeah, thanks for that. Look, um, again, I think it's it's inherently difficult to measure discipline um, and to to track that on an ongoing basis. I think you're right. It's, it's probably one of the main contributors. Um, and it talks to, to coaching. I think in a post-audio environment, one of our biggest challenges is that the, the elements or outputs that clients value are the elements and outputs that financial advisors currently spend the least amount of time on. So financial advisors currently spend the bulk of their time on doing admin and collecting data and the least amount of time on actually uh, putting a financial plan together and reviewing that plan and coaching the individual. 
So until we, we actually manage to, to change that for our financial advisors and for our clients, um, it'll probably be roughly this 75-25 um, split with financial advisors and not actually having the means to spend the time on the right things. Um, and making that measurement, I think, was very difficult to, to do and to track on a regular basis. But um, it'll, I'll, I'll certainly add it to my to-do list. Thank you very much for populating that for my behalf. <laughs> Thanks. Any, any other questions? Not seeing any. Okay, so I think then just before we finish, um, so maybe uh, Ina and Nico Louis, any closing comments you'd like to make? Ina, you've been sitting there very patiently. I didn't want to make too many comments. Um, I'm actually not an actuary or in this field whatsoever. Um, but to come back to the stress question, um, there is new technology out now that will be measuring stress levels. Um, the problem that we have with the stress is that we cannot actually um, validate the data at the moment. But if we use heart rate variability, we will be able to do that. So with the new tech that's coming out, we actually will be able to do this. So we are busy undertaking a research study at the moment. Um, where we look at the relationship between stress and physical health. So in the future, we will be doing the relationship between stress specifically, um, using heart rate variability data and financial wellness. So that is in the pipeline. So we will have the answer very soon on that. In terms of the cardiovascular disease risk, um, and I've been listening to some of the other presentations, is the question is, in South Africa, should we be looking at cardiovascular disease risk alone? Um, what about the other diseases? Um, what about asthma? What about emphysema? What about depression and anxiety? Um, I think that we are looking at the mortality risks in South Africa. And yes, they are placed number one, but what about number two? So the Framingham model that we use for the cardiovascular disease risk um, should be questioned. And in the health fraternity, um, we've been using the Framingham risk scoring mechanism in all insurance companies. I do not believe um, that is correct at the moment. We need to move away from that, and at Multiply, we're looking at that at the moment. Um, it's a very interesting um, area to look at. Um, I pre just presented it in Prague, and really the whole World Health Organization, the MRC in South Africa, is moving towards uh, another model. You know, just I'm going to use Chairman's um, freedom to ask you a question now. So the other variable, I guess, that you said we can measure stress soon, the other one that's very rarely used is sleep. As well. I imagine that's a pretty important indicator for both health, mortality, morbidity, and financial health. That is true. Obviously, sleep is a, is a, has a relationship with stress. Um, as much as we have to look at sleep, it's not sleep per se that's a physiological effect on your financial wellness, but rather the stress that it induces or the genetic defects that occur or damage that occur due to lack of sleep. So at the end of the day, pretty much what I'm saying is stress, again, is related to sleep, and sleep causes distress. Um, we can measure sleep at the moment. We know the Fitbits and so on are measuring them, but very inaccurately. Um, the reason for that is, I mean, as you're sleeping and you're moving your arms around, that's what it measures, so it's not accurate. Um, there are a few new devices um, that are coming out that measure sleep. Um, they are still being tested. They're still questionable. The sample sizes are like 12 and 10, so... You know, it's not really very accurate. But again, they're moving towards actually also using heart rate variability data, um, brain waves, et cetera. So we're actually getting very s accurate sleep data at the moment. So I think in the very near future, within the next year, we're going to get very accurate sleep data that we can correlate to stress and distress. Thank you. Nico, any closing remarks? 
I mean, maybe just quickly, so one of the biggest challenges that we face is actually measuring the extent to which individuals review their plans on a regular basis um, and to use that in our scoring mechanisms. And for that, we had to look to a manual process uh, with a financial advisor. Um, yes, there's electronic solutions out there in terms of uh, personal financial planning solutions, but individuals um, are still risk averse and very reticent to sort of enter online banking usernames and passwords on an online portal in order for a big brother insurance company to track their ins and outs in order to give them a financial wellness score. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges that we face at this point in time, and I, I firmly believe technology will sort of solve that for us, but in the short term, there's, there's really no te technology solution for that. Okay. Great. Well, thanks. So before we, um, I guess, we've achieved two objectives here. One is that you'll all be in the front of the queue for the tea and the snacks. Um, the other is that we've had a very, very interesting and informative presentation. And hopefully you've picked up some CPD out of today's uh, session. So I think we should thank uh, both Ina and Nicolui in the usual way for a great presentation. Thank you. Thank you. You're free to go. Thank you.